Uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I want to jump into this here for a minute. It's a story many of you will know well. Uh, another quick plug for the breakdown. Wednesday nights at 6.30, it goes live. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. Thank you, Luke Rock. Um, these have been awesome. I've been hearing so much great feedback from folks who tune into this. No matter where you are on the spectrum, if you're kind of like, I don't even know the, the stories, the, the Bible stories that Zach's teaching from, then it's perfect for you. And if you're like, I already know these stories in all the original language, then it's perfect for you. Uh, because, uh, you know, anywhere you fall, digging deeper is always good. Amen? So uh, I just encourage you guys to jump into that. All right, so Mark chapter 10. Um, so Jesus is sort of in the, in the middle of his ministry here. And, um, and he's, if you read through the Gospels, there, there are um, little glimpses and pictures of where Jesus is sort of, uh, some of your subtitles will say things like exacting discipleship. He was, uh, he was not just teaching about the kingdom, but what he was teaching, what it would look like to follow him. And um, because action was required. That was the thing about Jesus, the rabbi. Uh, if you wanted to know what he had to say, you had to go with him in a sense, okay? And so I'm going to read this story, kind of like the whole thing through, and then we'll jump back and get to a couple points. So Mark chapter 10, verse 17, this is from the New American Standard and Only Bible. And it said, just kidding, that's not true. I'll accept Greek and Hebrew. Uh, so it says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And Jesus said to him, I want you to pay attention to Jesus' answer to the question of what shall I do to inherit eternal life. It's not necessarily what we would expect from Jesus, but we're getting used to that. Red letters right here. Why do you call me good? Answering a question with a question. That's Jesus' MO. No one is good except God alone. Verse 19 says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And verse 20 says, he says back to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Everybody say, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Let's stop right there for one second. I like how this story opens up because Jesus is setting out on a journey. Other places where people come up and are interested in following Jesus, it, it, it starts off similar ways. Like when he does his whole foxes have holes and birds have nests and, you know, interacting with the guy who says, I've got to go home and say goodbye or I've got to go bury my father. He, he's, he's leaving out on a journey. And I think there's something so powerful about this image um, because in truth, the Lord is always going somewhere. Now, we know that Jesus, the man, is seated at the right hand of the Father, but that his spirit, the active agent of the Trinity, is moving to and fro over the earth, seeking places to establish the kingdom and to continue to bring the glory uh, that Jesus initiated in the establishing of the Father's throne here on the earth. And so the Lord, saints, by his spirit and by his people is always going somewhere. A journey, a journey... In fact, I think it opens up, he was setting out on a journey. 
A journey sounds exciting when you've been in one place for too long. Did anybody remember, like, leaving your house after being in it for, like, two weeks? Two months? Anybody, was anybody, I want to, by a show of hands that I cannot see, was anybody really, really good and you, like, literally didn't leave your house for, like, weeks and weeks on end? Anybody in here? Like I said, I can't see. Some, there's a hand over there. Really? So, Nicole Maida was pregnant. Did you, did you call on the midwifery to come in? Did you have the baby in your house? Pastor John's a midwife, so he, uh, he, de he delivers babies in people's houses. Uh, here's, here's, what, uh, here's what I think is, is interesting. You know, when you would leave out on a trip during COVID, I remember just like going to Tractor Supply to get chicken food or something like that. And, uh, you know, you like pack a suitcase because you haven't left in so long. You're like, I don't know. We might need the first aid kit. It might be a zombie apocalypse out there. We don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going on. Maybe the liberals have gone crazy and they're roaming the streets with pitchforks and torches. No, that's always, that's always the conspiracy theorists. Let's be honest. We know who we are. A journey sounds exciting when you've been in one place for too long. And we're living in a time, saints, when the moving of God abounds. We're seeing it. We're experiencing it on firsthand, at firsthand. We're, we're, we're anywhere you look, if you're looking with spiritual eyes, you're seeing God move. And I'm not going to accept anything else. I don't believe the people that are saying, God's just not doing anything. The heavens are just shut up right now. And, you know, we just have to pray without any response from God. No. That ended with the New Testament. The Spirit of God is moving, saints. And when we see Jesus start to move, uh, we will often run up to him. We'll run up to those things, those manifestations, those, those uh, seasons or, or places or, or uh, sightings, if you will. Wherever we recognize that God's, it's like, it's like a celebrity, you know, when somebody recognizes a celebrity on, in downtown Manhattan or something, everybody like runs and like wants to get pictures and selfies and autographs and whatever else. And I think that for believers who really have our priorities in order, when we see Jesus start to move in a certain thing, we flock to that thing. And because number one, we're excited. Number two, it's like, well, maybe there's something here that I can do. Even if you're selfless about it, you're going to run to Jesus. And that's what happened with this rich young ruler, the Bible calls him, is that he ran to catch up with Jesus. I think it's a good thing to catch up with Jesus. In fact, we preached a message a couple weeks ago about how the shepherds had, um, uh, they had that divine encounter, right? And then they, had, uh, then they had this other moment where they actually come face to face with Jesus, and, and the difference between experiencing that encounter and actually witnessing firsthand the birth was their response time. And there is an urgency to this, uh, this matter of catching up with Jesus because he does move and things are happening in different places at different times. And I'm not one to say, hey, if there's a revival somewhere, get in a plane and go over there. But if you see or witness or, or, or the Lord shows you a prophetic picture of something that heaven wants to do, we have a response time down to our knees to begin to pray and intercede and say, Father, what is it that you want from me in this hour? What is it that you want for this church in this hour? What is it that you want for the region of New England that you've called us to pray for and believe for and establish the throne in for this time, for such a time as this? And so there is a response time. There is a catching up to the move of God. 
But I want to, if you're writing things down, I want to uh, make sure that we get this. Catching up to Jesus is very different than keeping up with Jesus. Catching up versus keeping up. If you've got a pencil in your hand, get this. Keeping up with Jesus isn't about how fast we move. It's about how light we travel. Catching up with Jesus, sorry, keeping up with Jesus. Keeping up with Jesus is not about how fast we move. It's about how light we travel. I remember I went to India a few years ago with uh, Bishop Sadarshan Kamanapali. And uh, can I call him Bishop? Okay. <laughs> Just checking with my elder here. I, uh, I remember packing one of those, the, like the biggest suitcase that you can bring on a plane without having to send it ahead of time by like, you know, freight. And uh, I had no idea what to expect. And so my suitcase was equal parts clothes, laptop, um, you know, shoes, Bible, notebook, and the other half Pop-Tarts. And I... You know, it was one of those things I'd had like the Macedonian man vision where they were asking for Pop-Tarts in the dream. And so I brought Pop-Tarts. But I think sometimes when we're preparing to travel and we, where we're preparing to travel with Jesus, we end up sort of packing, we end up sort of bringing um, unnecessary items, if you will. Uh, we don't pack light at all especially as Americans, right? We don't pack light. Uh, you know, the, um, in an effort to cheapen flight tickets and stuff, they've got this thing now where you can fly with just a carry-on and not check a bag and, or, or, you know, one carry-on instead of two. And Ashley and I were talking about a vacation sometime in the next 10 years, and, um, and we were looking at tickets, and it was like, okay, we can get these tickets for this price, but, you know, we can only bring one bag between the six of us or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, I just, I don't see that happening because my kids pack like me, not light, lots of Pop-Tarts. And I remember we went to Maine one time and they all had their little pull along suitcase and Ashley gave them very specific instructions on what they were to take. And it was like enlist true Ashley Lynn's form listed out, you know, however many pairs of underwear, socks, however many swimsuits, changes of clothes, make sure you bring two sweatshirts because you'll get one wet. And then while that dries, you'll need the other one on. And uh, so everything was very specific, and we get there, and what is in Sawyer's suitcase? Is he in here right now? What is in Sawyer's suitcase? Let me just say, I'll just tell you this. He can change lures, fishing lures, between every fish, but he can't change his underwear once on the trip, okay? It was like, uh, it was like way out of whack, but he had his priorities straight in his own head. He was going to do some fishing. And I think sometimes when we run to catch up with Jesus, what we bring with us is what we think it's going to take to keep up with Jesus. And I believe that this man, with all his possessions, thought that he had something to offer Jesus. He had something to bring to the table that was going to help Jesus out. <laughs> I love that. Let's talk for just a second about the heavy things we travel with. What are some heavy things that we travel with? Offenses? Some of y'all, you're walking like this in the spirit. Hold on, Jesus. This is me running. 
because we've carried so many offenses for so long. For some of us, the heaviest thing in our lives are our expectations. We have grown to have unrealistic expectations of everyone in our lives. Usually that's married to the offense thing because when people can't meet and they can't meet those expectations, we just grow weaker and weaker and more and more prideful in what those expectations should be. Some of you guys, you're in this church because the last 17 churches couldn't meet your expectations. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we will fail you too. We will fail you too. No matter what, no matter if it's you didn't get the right coffee in the, in the Gyra Joe's line or your kids had to wear thermal underwear in children's church or, you know, whatever it is, um, we will fail you because that, that we'll preach a whole message on expectations someday. And there's a podcast out there floating around from our house on it too. But I think, I think sometimes the heaviest thing that we carry when we run to meet Jesus is we then project onto him all the unmet expectations that we've had in the world. And now we've decided in our head who Jesus should be instead of letting him be who he wants to be and who the Father made him to be for us. And so expectations are heavy. Another thing is the past. Any people have your entire past in your backpack? Man, that is hard. Anybody have somebody else's entire past in your backpack? The past gets heavier. With each every day that you live, the past gets heavier. So between these offenses and these expectations in this past, we get weighed down. And if it happens that we can run to catch up to Jesus, which there's so much grace and mercy that that's the cool thing about Jesus. He knows who's trying to catch up with him and, and, and he wants to have that interaction. And through grace and mercy, sometimes it seems like somehow miraculously we can get to that place where he is. We can get to that thing that he's doing. We can get a hold of what this move of God is in our lives. But then when it comes to keeping up, most often we're not traveling light enough. One thing that you lack. This is so hard, right? This is him. This is Jesus interacting with this man. He says, I've done everything. I've kept all your commandments. How many of you, that's your first prayer that you pray back to Jesus when you're asking for something? Lord, I've been good. <laughs> I've done it right. I didn't flip that guy off in a way that he could see me. I waited till he turned his back before I said something. We really, we, we do this. We play this game, you know, with the Lord where we try to figure out what it is. But when he comes back to us and says, one thing you lack, some of us say, uh-oh. Right? He says, one thing you lack. And then he goes on to say this. Go and sell all your possessions. Well, isn't this interesting? If you're writing things down, write this down. In the kingdom, you only lack what you still have. In the kingdom, you only lack what you still have. 
You know why um, there's an enormous cube smart in this building? Because Americans are keepers of things. We are collectors, like this man was a collector. And while that's just the material sense, and, you know, I'm not accusing anybody in here of it being true in the spiritual sense, I will say that oftentimes that principle of first the natural, then the spiritual, then the supernatural, oftentimes that plays out in scenarios like this. When we live through a Great Depression, uh, you know, it was uh, interesting as they studied um, the psychology of folks who were old enough to remember the Great Depression, um, you see these patterns where people would stockpile cans and, and things like that, and not out of wisdom or out of preparation, but purely out of fear because they had remembered what it was like to be hungry. And the interesting thing is when we go through spiritual depressions, when we live through seasons without Jesus, and we get by by trying to obey the commands just like this rich young ruler did, what we find is that we begin to spiritually stockpile an arsenal of what we think it's going to take to keep up with him the next time we catch up with him. We're usually wrong. You see, it's never about what you don't have. It's always about what you haven't given up. It's never about what you don't have. It's always about what you haven't given up. Isn't it interesting, um, as, we've, uh, as we've sort of, I'll say, explored healing here, um, and I say that because there's so much about healing that's like unknown territory, you know? And why is that? Because Jesus is on the move. And if you follow the way Jesus heals, he does it different, right? Sometimes, sometimes we see the apostles, and it's like they'll pray over a hanky or whatever and send it away. And sometimes it's the shadow that, that heals people as it falls on. And sometimes it's mud that you spit in and rub in somebody's face. Has anybody tried that one yet? I'm just wondering how that's going to go over. I'm just wondering if there have been people who haven't been healed because a believer wasn't bold enough to do it when the time came. I'm wondering if we really recognize that because Jesus is on the move, that means that all of the gifts and the manifestations that go along with him, those are on the move too. And what he does in this season is not going to look like what he did in the last season. Healing isn't going to necessarily look like, it's not going to play out like it did in days gone by. And that's why it's so important when somebody comes down here with a prophetic utterance or somebody comes in on a Tuesday night and feels led of the Spirit to begin to pray in a certain way, that's why it's so important that our spirit man stays attuned to what heaven is doing. Because we're going to begin to pray for people in a different way. And one thing that we found on Tuesday nights as, as the community has brought people in who need prayer for healing from terminal illnesses and, and sicknesses and things like that, one thing that we've prayed about healing is that healing is not a matter of what you can receive. It's a matter of what you're willing to give up. Most of the afflictions that are in our bodies, that are in our minds, that are in our souls, the brokenness that we're experiencing, saints, as a church today, the things about us that look so much like the world, it's not because we have not yet attained something from heaven. All of heaven was poured out for you. It's because there's something in you that hasn't been poured out yet. 
There's something in your suitcase or in your backpack. There's something that you've got in this hand. When, when the Lord says, I'm going to deposit this, but it's only going to be in the hand, there is still full of something that you need to let go of. That's why from now on every Sunday we're going to sing, my hands are open. I hope my heart's free. It's never about what you don't have. It's always about what you haven't given up yet. I had an awesome sister in the Lord come up to me a couple weeks ago after we, um, after we preached, uh, talking about the power of the word and our word and the authority in our words. And over here, and she said, Zach, the Lord revealed something to me that uh, he has never withheld anything from me because of my behavior. He's never withheld anything from me because I wasn't good enough or because I whatever. The only part of heaven that's been withheld from me is because I have decided it so. I have spoken it so out of my mouth. I have set my own limitations. It's never about what you don't have. It's always about what you haven't given up yet. That's why you can't say more of you without saying less of me. Oh, this guy was sad. It says he was sad, right? It says he went away grieving. Why? Because he was a collector of fine things. And as that collector, he simply wanted to add the teaching and ways of Jesus to his collection. But there's this thing that I've found about the Lord, and that is this, that the big cheese stands alone. The Lord will not be added to your collection of fine things. He simply won't. The Lord will not be added to the prayers that you pray. He will not just be added. He will not just be thrown in with things that you hope might work out. That's not how he operates. For the Lord your God is one. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, we see this statement made that, that decidedly uh, declared that the God Israel would serve is but one and only one. You guys have heard me harp on the coexist things, and we'd have a team out there right now pulling them off the bumpers in the parking lot if, uh, if it wasn't so cold. But he won't coexist. When we, when we say, take me to the throne room, we go there because nothing else can stand there. We're invited into that place because nothing can stand there. And when we invite him into this place, he only comes when nothing else can stand there. He doesn't share the throne. The cheese stands alone. And then Jesus gets into this teaching that just about scares us to death right here. He says, looking around, he says to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. He goes on, jumps down. He says, with people, uh, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. Um, the camel and the eye of the needle thing has been really controversial. And unfortunately, a lot of people 
take this and they mean, well, that means that all wealthy people are sinners or, you know, that unless you're living this impoverished life that you're not really walking out, you know, the ways of Jesus. And um, I'm going to tell you just with a lot of grace here that you're just wrong about that. That's not at all in the Bible and it's just not true. Um, in fact, there is some thought that Jesus was rather wealthy um, based on the gifts that were brought from the wise men at his birth. Um, the, it's, it's believed that these things with his stewardship and his family stewardship, you know, that, that he would not have been this poor person. And when he didn't have a place to lay his head, it's because he chose not to. Um, but I'll say this, and if you're writing things down, please get this. It doesn't matter how much you have. It only matters how much it means to you. In fact, some of the wealthiest people I know also have some of the straightest priorities that I know. A lot of us who are trying to attain wealth, we're trying to climb our way, clamor our way out of the lower or middle class. Our priorities are so screwed up because we're, 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 we're living out the American dream where if we can work hard enough, if we can sacrifice our marriage enough and our children enough, if we can let the teachers in public schools raise our kids enough, if we can, if we can make sure that, you know, we, we're, we're doing everything in our power to provide a better life, Unfortunately, that mindset, that like middle-class mindset in America is what robs us of so much of the peace and the blessing that comes with living in the order that God has for us. And a lot of wealthy people that I know have this kingdom mindset about what they have and how they've been blessed. And what they have, the Lord has blessed because of what it doesn't mean to them. I'll say it one more time. It doesn't matter how much you have. It only matters how much it means to you. It's not wrong to have it. It's only wrong to not give it up when the Lord says, give it up. So Jesus says this interesting thing. Um, he says, truly, I say to you, there's no one in verse 29 who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake, for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. It's interesting, isn't it? In the present age, he will receive a hundred times as much in the present age. We're going to talk about it in a second because I think we got it wrong. But houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, because those are going to come too, and in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, so this is, uh, this is really cool because... It, the Lord is kind of laying out what it looks like and how even, you know, I know we don't see him reinforcing the law of the tithe here, but he is reinforcing the principle of giving and surrendering and sacrificing. Whoever gives all these things up in my name, especially whenever they're called upon, right? Some of y'all are like, I've got a mother-in-law I would love to give to the Lord. I don't know what that's like, but we counsel a lot of people, you know? He says, can you put that verse up one more time back there? 
Just that last one. But, he, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Let's talk about this in closing. The present age right there, and then down lower, there's another, in the age to come. Well, the age to come comes from a word, the age, that word age, it comes from a, a Greek word that literally means like the forever age, eternity. But translated also as age, earlier in the verse is a Greek word, Kairos. This is a different kind of age. They both say age, but they're different ages. Kairos is a word that oftentimes is translated as time, but it's different from chronos, which is kind of time as we know it. It's man's time. Kairos is God's time. Kairos is the divine arrangement of time adjusted to the economy of heaven or the economy of salvation. It's God's time. And so I think a lot of times we try to take the principles of heaven and pull them into the time of man. When the truth is, if we want to live on the time of man, then we've also got to live by the principles of man. We've got to live by the truths of man. We've got to live by things like the laws of nature. But when we engage in this principle of sacrifice with the faith and the belief that what Jesus says is actually true, we have to understand two things. Number one, that all of his promises are not just for eternity because he says now in this present age, in this present kairos. And then he differentiates it by saying, as opposed to the eternal life in addition to the eternal life that we'll have in the age to come, the forever age, the eternal age. But the truth is that the promises of God, the truth is that for us as Americans who have such a hard time of letting go, we never know when to let go. That when we can step into the paradigms of heaven, that we will experience his promises on his time and we'll be given his peace to wait it out. Let's stand together. I don't even have that in my notes anywhere. You're gonna have to watch the instant replay. I just, um, I wanna close with this because I think that there's some folks in here and, and you, you may feel in your spirit like that man that stooped over man. Has anybody watched that show, Hoarders? Wait, or was that because you're a hoarder? Or you, oh, okay, you're not, not you. No, you're a, you're a Marie Kondo kind of girl. I see what you're doing there. Here's what's crazy about Hoarders, right? Most of the stuff that people, that, that you see, these like the helpers, the, the, the team that puts together and carrying stuff out as they're taking stuff out to the dumpster and your stomach's kind of turn a little bit and you can kind of smell the kitty litter in the picture. And uh, most of the stuff that they're carrying out, that stuff wasn't bad or wrong to have in the first place. It was that they didn't let it go when it was time to let it go. And I'm gonna to say to you in this room this morning, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the things that have found their way into your house. 
or have found their way into your backpack or your suitcase or your pocket. There's no shame. This is not just a look at all the crap you have. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're going to need a cube smart. Nah. What's wrong is when we don't let it go when we're supposed to let it go. So many of us saints, we stand before the Lord and it looks like gimme, 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 gimme. But it's never about what you don't have. It's always about what you haven't given up yet. And it might be that your possessions mean too much to you. It might be that, that you can run to catch up with Jesus, but you're having trouble keeping up with Jesus. Because he's not just walking on this flat plane, he's calling us up higher. Yes, he is. What you can carry on a sidewalk, you can't carry it on a, on a mountain hike. And what you can carry on a mountain hike, you can't carry on a, on a, on a flat-faced free climb. Right, Sam? The higher you go, the less you can have. The less that has to be hanging off your life. And I believe there's some people in the room this morning and the Lord is saying, come up here, come up now, my beloved. Yeah. I love how Jesus... He felt love for the man. The man who thought he'd done everything right. And the Lord said, maybe you have done everything right. But up until now, now something else will be required from you. What you lack is what you still have. What you're still carrying. There's a past there. Most people who acquire a lot of possessions, it's because there's something else lacking in their life. And they keep trying to fill the hole with something. This is just starting to get messy, so let's do this. If the Lord's speaking to you this morning about any of this, don't leave this place before you come down to this altar. I want to pray for you down here. I want to pray for you down here. I want Pastor Kurt and Pastor John, some of our elders, Pastor Wills down here. We've got some incredible women of God on the prayer team too, and I'm just going to, as, as you come down, I want to get around you and I want to believe the Lord. See, here's, here's the cool thing about Jesus. He knows that sometimes when it comes to taking things off and setting things down, that we need some help. You see Lazarus, right, coming out of the, coming out of the grave. And he doesn't even say to Lazarus, hey, take those grave clothes off. He says to the community around him, hey, help a brother out. Yeah. Take that stuff off him. It still smells like death. It still smells like yesterday. If that's you in this room, understand this, that God brought you into this house because there would be brothers and sisters in here who would love you, who would get around you and it would help unravel and unpack the baggage. If that's you in this place, come to this altar right now. If there's anybody in here, you say, Zach, I need some help with that. I'd love some prayer for that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Is there anybody else? I don't want to leave here this morning without doing business with the Lord. It's not enough to come and hear a message or get baptized or, 
or sing some worship songs. We're here because we're not just catching up to Jesus. We're keeping up. This is a call to keep up with him. And as he takes us from glory to glory and higher to, and higher, I'm believing that more and more will be required to come off of us so that he can rest more and more on us. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're going to be able to climb to 14,000 feet with my stuff on you, says the Lord. There's a calling in front of some of you in this room this morning. There's a destiny in front of some of you this morning. And you're wondering why you can't reach that thing. And it's because there's weight on you that ought not be there. There's something that was meant to be left at the feet of Jesus. There's something you still carry. If that's you, come down here. Jamal's going to lead us in a worship song. We're going to get around these folks. Pastor John and our team, would you come? God bless you guys. As you leave, please do it quietly. Jesus.